I'm teaching rock stars. I was teaching Poison, Cinderella, Motley Crue, Def Leppard. So I was like, I'm gonna be a rock star. There was one issue. I really did not look like a rock star. Guys, today's show may just change every conversation you have for the rest of your life. I have here today Roger Love. He is the vocal coach to some of today's biggest stars. He taught Bradley Cooper how to sing for his role in A Star Is Born. He helped Tony Robbins become a better speaker on stage. And what you're gonna find out today is that you can change your voice in every conversation you have, whether it's one-on-one, whether you're talking to a group, whether you're putting out content on social media and make it more engaging, make it more gripping, make it so people fall in love with you after just making a few quick changes. So check it out, it's coming up right now. A hundred million albums sold. Over, it's probably 150 million albums now. 150 million, oh yeah, that did look like a... That was years ago. I mean, the, the truth is, is that when, if you just took Def Leppard and Poison has had 20 million, Def Leppard has had probably 25 or 30 million albums. That's 50 million albums just in Def Leppard and Poison. Wait, you from- coached Poison? Yeah. Brett Michaels? Yeah. No way, I didn't know that. I, I not only coached him, I was on tour with him. Stop. Yeah. And, Tell me and, and sang on a great deal of all of uh, backgrounds for those Poison records. You sang on them? So you're a part of Poison, in a way. <laughs> I do have a tour jacket, for, uh, Flesh and Blood, wow. that says Roger, and, there's, and so there's only six of those, the band members, the manager, and me. Did you so ever look the part? I wouldn't say I'm part. part of Poison. Did I you say, ever look the part? Did I ever look like a rocker? Yeah, did you ever have a little long hair? I had hair long and... hair, really long hair. My hair's curly when it goes long. Oh, wow. So I had long, curly hair, and I, I used to sleep underneath Brett's bunk in the bus. Oh my God. And, and I would go out on tour with them for weeks at a time and make sure that everybody sang great. Okay, tell me something that happened in that bus. What's the craziest thing that happened in that bus? I was like the den mother on, that, on those tours because there was, it was rock and roll in the 90s and there were drugs and alcohol and everything was in excess. So some people in the band took full advantage of all excess, but then I had to make sure that they could get up and perform. Because mm, they don't perform day. well, it's on you in a way. Yeah, so it, it could be something as staying up all night and then, and then he couldn't sing the next day, mm. or alcohol or anything else to excess. So literally I initiated this protocol was before anyone would smoke anything or eat anything or drink anything, they would talk to me. <laughs> Roger, <laughs> before I... Uh... <laughs> before anything happened oh, wow. Oh, wow. that okay. could get in the way of the performance, I oh, was wow. just sort of hovering. And it could be something as simple as, no, we're not gonna stop for pizza Mm. Because we're on our way to sound check, and if you have that pizza, then you're going to have all of this phlegm, and you're not going to sing well, and you're going to be clearing your throat, and, and it's going to be hard for you to get through the performance. So it could be something as, as mundane as pizza. So is that a pro tip, never eat pizza before a big talk or a big performance? Well, you don't want to have thick phlegm okay. when you perform, speak, or sing, okay. because thick phlegm coats the vocal cords and it makes it hard for the vocal cords to touch. 
So if the vocal cords can't, can't open and close freely, then it creates this extra layer of phlegm, which makes you want to go <coughs> and always clear your throat. Mm, interesting. And then clearing your throat makes the vocal cords red, puffy, and swollen. Ah. So it isn't just that it sounds bad if you're clearing your throat or you just feel like you're drowning in phlegm. It's actually making your cords red and swollen, and it's going to be bad for you later on and maybe the next day and the day after. Ah. So singers and speakers have to monitor how much phlegm is on their vocal cords if they want to have really beautiful, clear, strong sounds. But uh, yeah, Poison was fun. I, was, I, I, was, I started with Brett, and we started working on his voice, and then I would go into the studio, and then I would help them record the vocals, and then I would go out on tour with Poison to make sure that, that the vocals sounded as good, if not better, than the records. Mm. And what was the weirdest thing someone asked you for permission to do? Well, I was there when Poison broke up. So the mm. weirdest story was I got a call from the manager saying Brett's lost his voice. They're on their way to Reykjavik for this huge rock and roll festival. And I said, that's, you know, I'm sorry. Tell him to practice with the exercises I've given him because I made him a, a CD and he could practice and he could get rid of the hoarseness. And the manager said, no, no, no. Red really, really wants you to come. It's, it's desperate. He wants you there so badly. He has no voice at all. I said, well, when would I have to come? And they say, tonight. And it is always tonight. Every single time I get a call to come out and work with an artist, whether it's Eminem or whether it's Brett Michaels or whether it's John Mayer, it's always come tonight. So you know how I feel about that. I have a family. I never want to go that night. But sometimes I have to. So I said, okay, I'll go. And I traveled all the way, and we, I never made it to Reykjavik because we met halfway along the path. I can't remember what city it was, but I'd traveled all night and then, and then drove to the, to the hotel and finally got there. I was exhausted, and uh, I'm walking down the hallway, and I see Brett coming towards me, and he's like, Roger, we're so happy that you're here, and he sounds like a newborn baby's voice. He sounds so good. I thought you'd lost your voice. And he says, no, I just wanted you to come. It's going to be a really fun festival. And that night, there was a fight in the band. And one of the players put their hand through a, a glass door, window, so that cut their hand up so they couldn't play. Ooh. And that night was the end of Poison. Wow. And so he was BSing you. He, he just wanted you there. He wanted, to, he wanted somebody to keep him company. So, so you, which happens you a lot. You must be quite a fun guy to have around. I, I guess, other than the fact that I don't let him drink too much alcohol. Okay, or, or maybe that's too the much real pizza. reason, as he knows, yeah. But the reason that I get so many calls for artists who want me to come to be with them is because they feel safe. Okay. And if I'm there, they're going to be able to perform at their best. Oh, so you're like their baby blanket. Roger's there. Security. I'm too old to be a baby, so let's say security blanket. <laughs> security blanket, okay. I think the key to me being a, a successful teacher <clears throat> has been that when someone comes into me and they can't do something, I make them feel that together we can do it. Mm. And then once they feel like somebody believes in them and that somebody has at least done it before, helped other people 
learn how to sing, learn how to speak. So I, I make them believe that I believe in them, and then I do whatever it takes to make it happen. Mm. And that wasn't the first time you've gotten the emergency call. No. I get those calls all the time over the last 20, 25 years. And Eminem was an emergency call, right? Eminem was an emergency call. His lawyer called me and said, we're doing this huge tour and we're promoting a new album and, and Eminem really needs help. He's lost his voice. It's always they've lost their voice or we want him to sing great and he's having so many problems. Can you come? come this one was come to New York. And so, and I, again, what's the question I ask? That sounds great. I'd love to help. When? When could I come? They'd say, this afternoon. They didn't even say tonight. They didn't give me the whole night. This afternoon. I said, oh, what a surprise. This afternoon. I hardly ever hear that. So I went because I, I've always been a huge Eminem fan. The guy's, a, whether you like his lyrics or his music, he's, he's a, like a verbal prophet of, of yeah. that generation. Yeah. He definitely speaks for a generation of people who identify with what he says. Mm -hmm. So I was excited. And I'd worked with other rappers before, but that was probably the biggest rapper that ever called me to say, let's go. So I take a plane and my wife says, don't fly into JFK because there's some problem. It's they're having weather. Fly into LaGuardia or some other airport. I'm like, are you sure? So I took my wife's opinion and flew in another airport, which meant after I flew all night, then I had about a four or five hour drive mm. from that airport to this event space way outside of New York. Where the concert's gonna be. Where the concert was, because okay. it was this huge outdoor concert, thousands oh, and thousands like and thousands style. of people. Okay. So I show up and, and the driver, look, I was lucky enough to have a driver and a and plane, I'm not complaining, mm. but I show up and I was tired, hadn't eaten, and I always carry my own keyboard, right? It's an electronic keyboard, and okay. so I have my keyboard. The driver misses the entrance to the stadium, mm. And we end up in general parking. So I walk for about 30 minutes from, with everyone else who's trying oh, to get in this concert. Yeah, huge. Carrying my keyboard. Oh, boy. Not feeling very special, but thinking, okay, I got a job to do. With Eminem. M &M. With Eminem. I can't remember the last time I took a shower and I was feeling kind of just exhausted already, but I'm walking through the parking lot with my keyboard and I realize I don't have any credentials. They didn't send a pass for me. So I'm at the backstage door with my keyboard, looking like I hadn't showered in two days. And I say to the security person there, hi, I'm Roger, I'm Eminem's voice coach. I'm here to give him a lesson. They're like, yeah, and they slam the door. <laughs> and and I'm, knock, 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 knock. I'm here to work with Eminem. And I, I couldn't even remember the manager's name at that moment. I was like, mm. I was like who hired you? Well, it was... Do you know the tour manager's name? No. Do you have a card that shows you're a voice coach? I never carry cards. I say, I don't, why should I carry cards? I'm a voice coach. I uh, publicize by word of mouth. You, you got, got a keyboard. You got to write it down. Okay. It does, it, it's uh, not word of mouth anymore. Uh, yeah. so, so I manage to convince that person to go and ask someone okay. if they're expecting a voice coach. I finally get in. I, I, I feel like I, this is a successful entry. And I am ushered to a room, and they said, Marshall, I'll be with you soon. So I sit there for a little while. I put my keyboard on the side. 
And about 20 minutes later, the lawyer who hired me came in and he says, Marshall's decided he doesn't want to work with you. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, he just, he doesn't want a voice coach. But 17 hours ago, you told me that Marshall wanted me to come and teach him. And he says, I lied about that part. I just figured this would be really good for him because he needs help with his voice. He is getting hoarse. He is having trouble singing certain things. And so I said, well, I have an idea. No voice lessons. Let me just meet him. I'll say hello. I came all this way. I'll shake his hand. I'll say, I'm a huge fan of yours. So nice to meet you. And I'll leave. And the lawyer says, oh, I'm like, oh, just one minute. Came a long way. You already paid me for a week. So I'll say hello and I'll leave. And he says, oh, okay, hold on. Let me see if I can get authorization for that. Comes back in five minutes. He says, okay, he'll say hello to you. But whatever you do, do not look him in the eyes. Do not look him in the eyes. <laughs> don't look him. They really and I don't, I'm thinking, is he an animal? Yeah. Are we in the jungle? <laughs> don't look at his eyes. I said, why? He doesn't like that. It's too confrontational. So you just go in, say hello, don't look him in the eyes, and then leave. I said, okay. So I grab my keyboard, and he goes, no, 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 no. No keyboard. I said, oh, you know, I carried this all the way with me from Los Angeles. I'll just carry it. I, I don't want anyone to take it. I'll carry it. I'll stick it in the back of the room. He won't even see it. I'll walk it in. He says, okay, but don't pull it out. And don't, like, try to do any lessons or teach him anything. I'm telling you. I said, oh, I totally have the ground rules. I got this. So I walk in with my keyboard. I put the keyboard on the side. And in the, on the couch, directly in front of me, are two identical M&M artists, two. What looks to me, identical twin M&Ms. Dressed the same, hair the same, both sort of looking at me and me sort of not looking at them. <laughs> I'm thinking, am I not supposed to look at either of them in the eye? And what in the world is going on? Why are there two? So this is, this is weird for me. So. I say, I, I immediately just not knowing what else to do, and I had spent the whole plane ride memorizing Eminem songs, specifically the parts of the songs where he would sing, like the choruses, and, and the parts that might be hard for him to sing. So instead of just saying hi and bye, I said, you know what? So I sort of looked in between both of them, right? <laughs> Not knowing what was really going on. It was just some altered reality. And I said, you know, on the plane over here, I was, I was learning this song, and I started singing this chorus, your song. And then I burst into rapping it and then getting into the chorus part. And I said, when you sing that part, it's really high. Is that difficult for you to sing? Me <laughs> looking right in between them both. And they're laughing already because here's this guy in front of two M&Ms rapping Eminem songs, and then singing the chorus of Eminem songs. So they're, they're thinking this is funny. They're you, thinking maybe uh, I'm crazy, but they're, they're, they're enjoying this. And then they look at each other, and one looks at me, sort of, and says, I don't sing that part. And, and now I know at least who, I don't know what's going on, but I, 
But then I look more at that person. I said, what if I could teach you how to sing those, that chorus? And then this other chorus, do you have problems with that song? Yeah. This other chorus, do you have problems with that song? What if I could do it in five minutes? What if I could teach you in five minutes something that would make you go on stage tonight for those 50, 75,000 people out there and you'd sing those songs like you've never sung them before? Would you do it? And he was like, okay. I pulled out my keyboard. He was supposed to go on in 10 minutes. We stayed for an hour and he kept 60,000 people waiting. And we went from song to song to song. And I taught him how to do those high parts of the choruses. And then I went on tour with him. And then literally, it was a bus tour, and we went on tour, and I was... Did you start making eye contact with him at some point yes. in this? And was he, yes, was I he started making eye contact. I was looking at him when I was teaching. Okay. And he, he, he seemed quite comfortable, and when he wasn't comfortable, he'd look down, because he actually didn't like mm. that kind of confrontation. He would look and then sort of look down. He was very shy, which a lot of artists are, are shy. Most of the artists I work with are introverts. Anyways, the, the story of why there were two was I didn't realize until I was out in the audience trying to watch the benefits of what had just happened in the back room and see how he was going to sound. And there's this one part in the tour where there's this giant uh, Ferris wheel. And, and so, so Eminem is got the microphone and he's over on one side of the stage and then there's a flash, flash, and then boom, he's on the top of the Ferris wheel going around. It's a magic trick. It's oh, a double wow. magic oh, wow. trick. Is he rapping up there? Like, and then oh. he's up there singing. And the audience goes crazy. So that's what it was. It was a double. Wow. But within two days of being on that tour, I was the voice coach for everyone on the tour. For Papa Roach, for Exhibit. Because once they saw that I was there, all of these, there were like three bands that were opening for him. I remember Papa Roach. I remember Exhibit. I think there was a third one. I don't remember who it was. But I was the voice coach within 24 hours. I was the voice coach for all three of them, the groups, because they saw that I could make changes in, in their voices and they wanted the same thing. So this happens all the time. People aren't seeking out voice coaches. One time there was a, a, a very, uh, he's still alive, so I'm not, he's not dead. But there was a manager that was managing at that time, George Michael, and had all these big stars. And I called him up and I said, I want to meet. And he said, okay, I'll meet with you. And I went to his office, not too far from where we are right now, in Santa Monica. And he said, what can I do for you, Roger? I said, I want you to be my manager. He said, okay, I'm your manager. What would I do? I want you to call all of your stars and tell them that they need to have voice lessons with me. He said, Roger, if I call all of my stars, and tell them that they should have voice lessons with you, they'll fire me as a manager. Because that is basically me saying, you need voice lessons. You kind of suck. That you're not a good enough singer. So the manager can't tell the artist that. Mm. I never thought about it that way. He said, I have to wait until the artist has some kind of a problem. They're losing their voice. They, they have a hard song they can't sing. I have to wait till they have some kind of a problem. And then I can say, I know this gentlemen, Roger Love. So even artists, because you, you know, you're a perfectionist. You, if you want to be healthy, you eat the right things. You, you exercise. You, you seek out methods. 
that would make you achieve the goals. But performers and singers don't always do that. They just started singing when they were 15 and people liked it and they kept on going, right? Yeah, and they're not even thinking their voice is an instrument. They're thinking their voice is, is their voice and it's as good as it is and, mm. and, and they have, that's how they sound and the people like it and they're not even sure why the people like it. But they're not thinking it's an instrument and they could really perfect it. Mm. So most of the artists that I've worked with, the famous ones, really come to me from a desperation place because they're having some kind of problem with their voice. Very few are thinking ahead. Hey, I'm going to be making a record. Mm. Hey, yeah. I probably should check out a voice coach who might be able to make my voice better and then I'll make a better record and then I'll sell millions of records and, and billions of streams. But it's not, that's not the general attitude. Isn't that interesting? Because mm. you'd think. Yeah, yeah. You'd think. Musicians are into practicing, but they're not always into taking lessons. Fascinating. So we're going to get to some of the things that you taught Eminem and the other folks in a minute, but take us back to how you discovered this, because that story is fascinating as well. How I discovered vocal technique and everything that I teach? Yeah, I mean, you didn't, uh, in the, as a kid, decide you wanted to be a voice coach, did, no. did you? Was, was, did you even know that was no. a thing? No, I, did, I didn't know okay. there was such a thing as a voice coach. Okay. I figured opera singers might have voice coaches, but I okay. thought the rest of the, the pop world and rock and roll and everything else was probably just singing in their room and getting good. Right. So I grew up wanting to sing. I just loved singing, I realized at a very, very early age that if ever I was depressed or, or angry or sad, I could sing and, and it would totally change my attitude and my mind and I would just feel good. It was, it was almost impossible to sing and feel bad. Mm, so you'd sing by yourself? I'd just sing in my room. Okay. I, I, was, I, I was always interested in music. And I, I started playing the guitar when I was eight years old and started playing oh, wow. the piano. Did I, you want to be a, a singer or a rock star? I, I that... knew that I was going to sing. Okay. I, I knew that when I was four and five and six years old, I knew that singing was the greatest thing in the world because it made me happy every time I sang. And when I would sing in front of other people, it seemed to make them mm. happy. They wouldn't say, shut up and go back in your room. They were like, could you sing something else? Could you play something else? So I was like, this is good. I found something that makes me happy. And I, I seem to go over well at my parents' dinner parties. They seem to like me. They, I think they're going to get me better presents at, at, uh, at uh, birthdays. Mm, yeah. My parents' friends are going to get me better presents at birthdays. I'm going to write a song for them. So it was a win-win. Okay. I felt good singing, and, and you got, I got great feedback. It was like I felt special. So I was always just wanting to sing. And when I was 13, I begged my parents to let me take voice lessons because at that point I realized there were voice teachers. So they did a lot of searching and they found this guy in Hollywood who ended up being the most famous voice teacher in the world at that point because he was teaching Stevie Wonder and Frank Sinatra and Barbara Streisand and Madonna oh, wow. and, and the Jacksons and every major singing star. Mm. And so I got a lesson with him and my mom drove me to the lesson. I'm 13 years old and I take a lesson and, and he says, you have an amazing voice. I want to be your teacher. I'm thinking this is the greatest thing that ever happened. So 
we were a, a middle class to no extra kind of family. And my mom was a, was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked, had a normal job. Nobody made a lot of money. So my mom had to get a job and work five days a week, nine to five, just so that I could have voice lessons. Wow. And, and that was a huge sacrifice. She was already working hard being a mom, but she, she was like, no, I want to do this for you. That's amazing. So she literally did whatever it took so that I could have lessons. Because back then when I was 13, the lessons were, I think, like $50 for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. It was expensive. Yeah. That, I don't even know what that would be now, but it would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And so she worked all week just so I could have two half an hour voice lessons a week. And I started going. And, and that voice teacher was really into opera, believe it or not. Here's something that most people do not know about me. My students don't even know about me. But he was so into opera that he was like, Roger, you should be an opera singer. So I was like, okay, then I should be an opera singer. And so I started studying opera mm. at 13 and a half. Italian and French and German. I had to do languages. I started, I had an opera coach who would teach me the arias and how to read music and how to sight sing. So I went into full mode, going to school, yes, but every other free waking moment, I was studying to be an opera singer. No way. So that's that teacher who was so famous. He was like, wow. you should be an opera singer. I he was just like, knew it. He just had it. I, I really had no affinity towards opera. Okay. And, and at that point, didn't speak Italian or any other language other than English. I was still working on English at, uh, at 13. So, so I, but I still followed him because I figured he was the expert. And by the time I was 16, I was getting really good at singing opera. And I was doing all of these state competitions and I was voted the number one voice in California. No way. For singing opera. Okay. And so every college offered me a scholarship. They have college scholarships for opera? Yeah, for for yeah, classical singing scholarships. Wow. Okay. All all colleges from Juilliard to you name it have scholarships available for promising singers. And okay. and at that point it was all classical. There was no like, hey, we'll train you how to be a rock star. Okay, now and then, the, is it like, so I did wrestling in high school and the top wrestler in California goes to Idaho and gets his ass kicked. Is it like that in opera where the top California guy would go to Italy and just get smoked? It, or, or is it like- Definitely it, the it, accent is better in Italy. Okay, okay. The, 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 the California boy who goes to Italy and is trying to sing opera is, you, they know that I'm not Italian. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, but but, but you could you could killed your own with. There's people. You know, any major city has teachers and coaches that are coaching major opera. Well, I guess people in Los Angeles is yeah. And big, my teacher, one of the even though he's entertainment cities in the world. So. Yeah, and my teacher, even though he was teaching all those pop stars, was teaching some of the biggest opera stars too. Oh wow. Okay. So so you were legit on the path so to become an opera superstar. Thinking I'm going going to go to college on a full scholarship because they were offered. I'm going to graduate early if I can, and then I'm going to audition for the Metropolitan Opera, and this is going to be my singing path. Wow. I'm going to be an opera singer. Mm. And whether I liked opera or not, I was like, this seems like the path, and fate has led me towards this. So I get a scholarship. And because, oh, there's a, a, a road. So at 16, while I'm on this path to being the next Metropolitan Opera singing star, 
he decides, my teacher decides he's going to go to Canada to teach a master class. And so he says, there's nobody to take over the studio. Roger, do you want to come over and teach lessons on Monday after school? And I thought, what a ridiculous question. I, I'm still learning how to be a student. And he goes, and I said, I don't know how to be a teacher. You're 16. 16 years old. And he'd never taught me how to be a teacher. He was teaching me how to be a student. And I said, I, I don't know if that's possible. What would I teach them? And he said, oh, just, just sing a lot. And, uh, and, and just, just run the exercises, play the scales. I couldn't even play all the scales. So he says, I'm going to pay $100 an hour. It's amazing what that, uh, that money waving in front of you. <laughs> you to can a learn to do anything for $100, $100 an hour. I will be there. I, I think I said, I'll be there with business cards by Monday. And so I showed up on Monday, and my first lesson was Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. What? Yeah. He, and then the Jacksons, and then all Earth, Wind, and Fire, and, and all of these huge superstars. That's who was coming in there. That one wow. superstar, all of his stars, because he wasn't there, started coming into me. And in the beginning, I was like, what in the world? So when Brian Wilson walks in, were you trying to pretend that you knew what you were out. doing? Or were you, you, know, were you open with him like, hey, I'm just here filling in? Or were you like, okay, let's do this? Like, what was your personality like? My personality was like, let's do this. Even though inside okay. I was absolutely freaking out. Nice. Of course, yeah. who wouldn't? Yeah. I was, I was you know, thinking this was a task way above anyone's skill set. But I figured I'm here and I would sort of fake it. And so I just jumped in and pretended I was my voice teacher. Mm. What would he say? What would he do? Yeah. All right, let's start warming up. And then I started playing the exercises. And here's what happened. I realized during that six months that I actually could help people change their voices. That I had some sort of maybe innate ability to listen to the way people sound and sort of hear what they could sound, even if they were already amazing. Mm. Because remember, even the most amazing singers still have problems. They're straining, they're, they can only do two nights in a row. They're, they're, it's not, the great singers are still not perfect. They, it's still, the instrument is still difficult to control. Mm. So six months in, I, I really found that I, I thought I was a great teacher, and so did the students. And when he came back, every single one of his stars decided that they wanted to stay with me. Whoa. Who knew? I, do, I would so have never guessed. But so he brought me in as a junior partner. So okay. 16 and a half, I'm the number two voice coach in, mm. the, in the world. And then he can do twice the lessons. And then he, he took 50% of what I made. But it, I was, it was still a ton of You're money. Rich. I'm 16 yes. and a half years old. <laughs> yeah. I'm rich. I was making three, like $3,000 a week. What? For a 16 year old. No, okay. So you're like really wealthy as a 16 year old with that. I, I could go to sushi every night, I'm thinking. <laughs> this is And I'm still, and I still continue to go to school, go, go to college, all of those things. Now, now let's go back. Wow. Now I'm in college. Wait, did you buy like a brand new car and were you just yes, falling out? Yes, of course. <laughs> I, I bought a car. What did you get? What kind of car did you get? Uh, I bought a, uh, this, the, I still think this is one of the coolest cars I've ever had. I bought a 1980 Datsun two, Nissan 280Z. My dad had one of those when I was a kid. He had an orange one, so I know that car. They're so sick. That car was sick. Yeah. And I loved that car. That car to me was, was that was like a Ferrari. Yeah. And, and I had a black one with 
chrome wheels and, and chrome rocker panel, I was superstar in my own mind. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, so I, I loved that car. So yeah, I bought a car and I was, I was just, you know, kind of going to school and, and I mean, I was literally in high school. So right around in studios, did you grow up yeah, around in, in Los Angeles? Yeah. In, uh, I, I was going to Birmingham high in Encino and, uh, and then I, and then I, like I said, I accepted my, that scholarship to UCLA because I was teaching. But what were you like in high school when you're going and teaching the uh, Beach Boys and all that? Were you, was everyone just in awe of you in high school? Were you the man in high school too? I just kind or of did you do your quiet. own thing and not? No, I just, okay. Got, I, okay. I, I, I was hardly at high school. Okay, gotcha. Because every second that I wasn't in class, I would go teach. Gotcha. And then when I was at high school, I was doing the productions because I was doing all the musicals. Ah. So... And there was no free time. I was either in rehearsal for a musical I was doing in high school, or I was off teaching all afternoon and evening and all weekends, all day and night. So I went to UCLA on a classical scholarship while I was teaching. And a couple of years in, my voice changed. Mm. Because people don't know this either. You think when someone is like a baritone or a low voice, that they're born with that low voice and they... And after puberty, you, they realize it's low. And then they sort of have that voice for the rest of their life, and they're, they're low. Or if they have a high voice after the voice change, then they're high the rest of their lives. But the truth is, is that your voice can change more than one time as you grow. Mm -hmm. So I was winning all those awards as a, a classical singer, as a baritone. I was singing the lower stuff, baritone range. And two years into my college, my voice changed. It got higher. All of a sudden, I was a tenor. Now, in the pop world, that would have meant nothing. Because then, okay, you just raise the keys on some of your songs. So you, now you can sing higher. Lucky you. But in the opera world, I had spent from 13 to 20 learning all of the baritone roles and and. And the, oh, the only arias for baritone and, and, and working on that voice, not even trying to sing high. And but the Italian words. And all that would come in handy still. Mm. But the bottom line is when you go from at 19 or 20, when your voice changes again, sort of, to go higher, then I knew I was in for about six or seven years more of waiting for that part of my voice to get stronger and thicker. Oh, wow. Because now I had to build that whole top part of the range. Because I had never, I had never sung high. Mm. I was concentrating on the, the mid-range stuff. So one, so my voice changed. So what did I do? Boom, I'm done with opera. I'm not gonna wait seven years to build the, the whole top part of the range. I'm gonna build the top part of the range, but that's it. I'm done with opera. I was already singing backgrounds on all of, on pretty much all of the projects that I was working on in the pop and rock world. I was coaching. Brett Michaels and Poison, I was singing backgrounds. All the, all the groups that I was doing, I was singing backgrounds on them. I was, mm. And I was thinking, well, I should just be a rock star. <laughs> like, it's that easy. But I was like, I should just be a rock star. This opera thing, it's really not that cool. It doesn't seem like really good-looking girls really like opera singers anyways. So I'm like, really good-looking girls seem to really like rock stars. I want to be a rock star. Is that when you started growing the hair out? started growing my hair out, <laughs> started thinking, I'm teaching rock stars. I was teaching Poison, Cinderella, Motley Crue, 
Def Leppard. I was teaching all the, all the top rock groups. And I was like, they were, I was showing them how they should sound. So I didn't think that was going to be a problem. I could sound like anything. I really could imitate and, and make my voice do anything by that point. So I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. There was one issue. I really did not look like a rock star. Mm. <laughs> I think I had spent too much time trying to look like an opera singer. Uh. And, you know, back then, it was the, the most prettiest time for rock stars. It was Bon Jovi. It was Brett Michaels. If you didn't look like Bon Jovi, <laughs> you were like, forget it. It really was very, a very visual medium. Mm. So I wasn't that good looking, honestly. And I didn't look like that. I could sing great, but I didn't look like that. And also I hadn't spent any time writing. So I started writing. I realized, okay, I'm never gonna look like Bon Jovi, but maybe I, I, but I can sing great. And maybe I could become a great writer. And then and I would still move in that direction. All the time, still loving teaching. But I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the studio. I might as well try to do my own stuff too. So I, I would say that, it, that the writing also took longer than I thought. I loved writing songs, but to be a really good songwriter takes time. That's a craft. So I don't think my songs were that good at, and at that stage where I was thinking I want to be a rock star either. So I didn't have the right look and I wasn't a, a good enough writer yet in that medium because I hadn't even grown up listening to rock and roll. You've been listening to opera. Because I was listening to opera. That, mm. that, was, that was a horrible foundation Got it. for wanting to be a rock star. Even with all that, I got a record deal. Got signed to CBS Records. Mm. I, got, I actually got record deals. It wasn't that difficult. Brett Michaels, whose manager was uh, Irving Azoff, and, uh, and they were, he was signed to Capitol, they offered me a record contract through Capitol and through, through Brett and through Irving. I, I actually secured record deals. I put out, and, and I was like, do I want to be a solo artist? Do I, I, I also had a little band that I was working on. So I did a project with that band for a record company and put it out. And then I didn't like being in that band. It was too wild for me. And then I was like, so I actually got in the game and didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to enjoy it. And I came to a place in my life where I was so believing that I was supposed to be a voice coach and that it, I would sing backgrounds and sing whenever I want anyways and write whatever I want. I was only writing for myself. I wasn't trying to write for anybody else. I realized at that point, 22 maybe, that, I, that this is really what I'm supposed to do, not because mm. it's the only thing I can do, because I really could have really kept working as an artist. And I think I... I, I believe I would have achieved something special with that too because I, my writing would have gotten better and right. would have found, maybe, maybe found a hairstyle that worked, <laughs> done something to fake that I wasn't that good looking. And, uh, and, but I loved teaching. So I wasn't at a place where, you know, you've heard that expression, those who can do, do, and those who can't do, teach. I didn't feel that was me. I felt I could do whatever. I felt I could sing. I could do whatever, but, but you, I wanted to teach. Yeah, you had a real gift for it. I thought that I, I was fast becoming a great teacher. 
And what's a great teacher? Somebody who has amazing transformations with yeah. their students. And at that point, I just decided I want to be the greatest singing coach ever. And, and I thought I could it. do it. So mid-20s, you just went yeah, like full-time. 21, 22, I was like, that's it. I'll still sing whenever I want, but, but I'm, I really, I'm going to be a voice coach. And this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. No reservations. Mm, love that. So let's talk about some of these transformations. I think the, the, the most public are some of the movie stars that you worked with. Bradley Cooper, Joaquin Phoenix, Jeff Bridges. What were those guys like when they came to you? Was there any of them that had natural talent or was there any of them that like, were afraid of singing? Or, or what's an uh, interesting transformation? That For 17 years, share? I stayed with that, my teacher as, a, as, a, as the co, you know, as the... As the oh, wow. As his right as partners, man. A partner. 17 okay. years. And I only taught singers. Mm. Okay. So, so what happened was I wasn't even thinking of working with on movies. I was really just focusing on artists who were making records. And then as fate would have it, I think T-Bone Burnett was the, was the first person that called me. He's a music writer, producer, legendary. And he said, I'm doing this film called Walk the Line. And Which is the story of Johnny Cash. Story of Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. And he said it stars Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, I think you'd be great for this. And coincidentally, Reese Witherspoon, who was friends with my wife, she called me and said, I'm doing this movie I'll walk the line. And when I was asked to do the movie, I was told I was not going to have to sing. She didn't know she was going to sing. She thought she was going to act and, and then lip sync and maybe somebody else was going to sing. Mm. So she called me because her agent at ICM suggested. So literally, like the same day, I got a call from Reese Witherspoon that said, are you... Are you Miyoko's husband? My wife's name is Miyoko. Are you Miyoko's husband? I said, yes, guilty. And she said, I'm doing this film, and I realize now that I have to sing. And I don't know whether I should just turn it down. But I really think that this film is an amazing role. It's an amazing female character that I really, I really want to play. But I don't consider myself a singer. Mm. So I said, Come on in. And so when she came in, she had a voice. She's amazing. She can do anything. She had a voice. But all of her singing in like junior high and high school was just all up here. I'm a little angel. It was all very high and sweet. And that's not the voice of June Carter Cash. June Carter Cash was more chesty. I got arms and you got arms. Let's get together. It was all chest voicey. So we started and I, I created the different parts of the voice that she didn't have. So she had some high notes, but she didn't. So that's, we call that head voice. But she didn't have chest voice, all the low stuff. And she didn't have middle, all that stuff in between. Because she would, she would break when she tried to go from low to high. Oh. Oh, which most people do. Okay. So I taught her chest voice, middle voice, 
and head voice. Sort of like she came to me with a, as a piano and she was only a handful of the keys on this side, but those, all those other keys weren't working. Mm. So I fixed all those other keys. Mm. And then we started working on the songs from the show and then from the movie. And then I went into the studio and helped get the vocals for the performances along with T-Bone, along with, along with the, the, the engineer. But one day after she came in for lessons, she says, you got to work with Joaquin as well. He's going to love you. So then the next day, Joaquin came in. And Joaquin had never sung in his life. Never. Mm. Well, I think self-admittedly, he had never made it all the way through uh, a verse and a chorus of Happy Birthday. Oh, wow. And was he under the impression also that he wouldn't be singing in the movie? Neither of them thought they were going to be singing in the movie. But they realized, and they were taking lessons from another coach, and they had been working on it for months. But neither of them was getting any better. Mm. And, and we were only about eight or ten weeks away from them having to go and film the visuals and do the live scenes where they were singing. So I, I didn't have the luxury of months. It was about ten weeks away, and they had to have everything recorded and then go and then do the, the filming. So we started working every day. I'd work with Reese every day. I'd work with Joaquin every day. The saving grace was I've got good technique. So I was able to I'm able to, in a short period of time, because the technique is good, to make physical changes, teaching them how to breathe, teaching them what to, how to put their vocal cords wherever they need to get to make the sounds that they need to make. And we worked together for those 10 weeks, and, and then they filmed the, all the visuals of it, and, and that's the Walk the Line story, and she won an Academy Award. He was nominated for, I think, a Golden Globe, People's Choice Award, it came out and it was incredible. They loved him as Johnny Cash. And he sung the whole thing. Sang it all. And wow. they loved her as June Carter Cash or her version of June Carter Cash. Because the director told me that I didn't need to make her sound like June Carter Cash because nobody, it didn't really matter. Not that many people knew what June Carter Cash oh, sounded okay. like. So Joaquin, I had to make sound exactly like Johnny. But Reese, I could just create a voice, help create a voice that would work. In the genre yeah. of, of that uh, June Carter Cash thing. Yeah, and the soundtrack won the Grammy. Won Grammys. Did won. it win the Oscar too? I, she won Oscar she, as, be, as right. Best Female. That's what it was. Yeah, wow. Best leading, best leading Actress. And, and that was my first entree into movies. Mm. And then the success of that brought Jeff Bridges and Colin Farrell to me for, for Crazy Heart. And Jeff Bridges sort of was a closet guitar player sort of singer. So he'd be in his room or his closet and he'd play the guitar and he'd sing, but he wasn't out doing any performing. So, but he, he loved music. So he took guitar lessons and then I taught him how to, how to sing and we worked up all the stuff for, for Crazy Heart and Colin Farrell. And I had more time on that project. Okay. So with Jeff Bridges, I had several months to work it out. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor. That's right. And, and he, it won, he and the thanks soundtrack you won on the stage. Best song. Yeah. He thanked me from the stage. That was crazy. We were, my family was jumping up and down on the bed. We were like, wow, that, that, that hardly ever happens. Uh, by, by the time they win an award, they're not really thinking about who helped them at the beginning. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. but that was so, so gracious. So the interesting story is Colin Farrell, I didn't get until right before the filming. So uh, Colin Farrell had, was also playing a, a superstar country singer in Crazy Heart. Mm. I got to meet him one day, spend about an hour and a half to two hours with him. The next day we recorded the song, The Weary Kind, I think it was called. That's all I got. Oh, wow. That one, that one best song from a motion picture. And he sounded amazing. No kidding. But my whole time with him was maybe three and a half hours. Oh, wow. That's all I got. Well, because you have the techniques from a lifetime of mastering it that you can teach and people can implement quickly. Yeah. So, and, and I can just tell you, so Roger is my vocal coach. <laughs> and I've learned things from you that have changed my speaking dramatically that you've taught me in five minutes. Thank you. Just once you know it, you can just apply it every time you open your mouth. I try to teach like, I try to give the students what they want. And no student wants to spend years learning what they could learn in a few minutes. So I've always figured out there must be a way of teaching what's right and what's possible in a few minutes. So whether I had three hours to do Colin Farrell or whether I had months to do Jeff Bridges, I'm always thinking about what's the streamlined, not fastest because it's fastest, but what's the best mm. way? And the best way is usually streamlined. Yeah. How did it go with Bradley Cooper? Did he have some singing talent when he came into your studio? Bradley Cooper loves music and has always loved music. Brad, I don't think people know this, but Bradley Cooper, when he was young, he wanted to be a conductor. Really? And on his eighth birthday or 10th birthday, I can't remember what he said, but what he told me, but his parents asked him, what did he want for his birthday? And he said he wanted a conductor's baton. So Bradley told me that he used to spend hours in his room putting, having the stereo play classical music and pretending he was a conductor. Wow. So he, is that interesting? Fascinating. So, I mean, I think, again, Bradley Cooper can do anything. He's, his work ethic is so impeccable. I mean, he made A Star is Born, right? Didn't he produce he, that movie? He and produced it. He directed, directed it, it. He co-wrote it. And he yeah. starred in it. He did, he did it all. He would show up. We worked for about six months. He showed up every single morning at my studio at 7 a.m. in the morning because he had the rest of the day packed. And I think by 7 a.m., he had already been to his trainer. Wow. And it took him like 45 minutes to drive from where he lived to the trainer and then half an hour to get to me. And he'd still show up never late at 7 a.m. in the morning. That's dedication. And he would practice everything that I gave him. He was the, the greatest student you could possibly imagine. Never complain. Just work so hard. That's why he's good at everything he does. Because he, he'll put the work in. Yeah. And he so, has to sing next to Gaga. And Literally. He, sitting on a piano next to one of the greatest singers of our time. So he walks into me and he says, Roger... I saw what you did for Joaquin and Reese and for Jeff, and they all sing your praises, and I have to sing opposite Gaga. And here's the caveat. We've decided we're going to sing live. What does that mean? What that means is all those other films that I did, Crazy Heart, Walk the Line, most of that music was recorded in the studio. I mean, all of that music was recorded in the studio. And it's called pre-recording. 
Okay. And then they go and they lip sync while they're performing, while they're, while they're shooting it. That's how pretty much all musicals are done. Movies. Gaga and Cooper decided they were going to sing it all live. So what you got when you watched the movie wasn't what we did in the recording studio. It was them live singing on stage. Those were wow. the takes. Wow. It wasn't all doctored mm. and auto-tuned and pitch-corrected and finagled yeah. like they couldn't sing. He, want, he knew Gaga was going to sing it all live, so he wanted to be at the level where he could do it live. Isn't that, I mean, that's amazing. Just think that's about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Think about how daunting that would be for, yeah. for you and I believe anything's possible, but even that, that idea, it's a daunting task to think you're going to sing opposite Grammy winner Gaga, you have to do it live, and you're going to do duets. It would like, be like me thinking I'm going to play basketball against Michael Jordan and actually keep up. That's right. Like you're going to, how many times are you really going to score on Michael Jordan? Yeah. But then you'd say to yourself, I'm going to score on Michael Jordan. I'm going to. I'm going to. When, when, when he's standing there, I'm going to go in between his legs. Wow. And then to the basket. That must have been such a huge life accomplishment for him. He must have been so proud of I think so he, stoked for. I think he was proud, and him. I was yeah. so proud of him too. But I think that's yeah. just the way he deals with life and yeah. all the projects. He can do anything. Yeah. And he's willing to do the work. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was. And then, you know, that film has won all kinds of awards. It, it won Grammy Awards, and it just, it just won for Best Soundtrack. Yeah, motion picture and it won best song and and that live performance they did I can't remember if it was at the Oscars or the Grammys it was at the Ask- Oscars a year was, a year ago last week yeah everyone was sharing that everywhere which is a live non lip syncing performance no and and again look at the work that people are willing to put in he'd already worked with me for six months and gotten his voice to that level so when it came time to do the Oscars he could have just said oh I'll come in I'll warm up the day before. And then I'll go and sing it at the Academy Awards. But he was like, no, I have, I have this vision of what I want to do. So we worked for like two weeks every day. Oh, leading up to the awards performance. Yeah, because wow. he wanted it to be amazing. Yeah. And then he would, he would work with me and then he would go rehearse with Gaga for hours. The two of them worked for like wow, 10 days song. or more in a, just, just to make it great. That yes, there are fast things that I can do to make people sound amazing. But the truth is, is that you have to be willing to put in the work if you want to be incredible. Yeah, and people just see that end result. And the same is true with writing. You see the one article that comes up that goes viral, but you don't know that the writer of that might have edited it 30 freaking times and showed it to all types of people and got different feedback and put things out and cut things in and all that. You know, it's the same with that one five minute performance. The work leading up to it is what you can't see, but that's what makes it pop. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, I often say when I'm doing big lectures and on stage doing, doing events, and I say, I worked with an artist this week who's 24 years old. She just put out her first album. How long do you think it took her to make that album? And people raise their hands. One person says two years. Another person says three years. Another person says six months. And I say 24 years. It took 24 years for her to make that album. Yeah. Because everything she was, everything she learned, and everything she heard, and every, every sound she could make, 
and every emotion she ever had went into that your whole life. The first album took no 24 doubt. years if she was 24 years old. Yeah. Yeah, one of the greatest copywriters in the game, Gary Halbert, when people would pay his fee to write a sales letter, which was something like $25,000 back in the 80s, wow. you know, and that was a ton of money, he'd get it, he'd write the sales letter in the next you know, 30 minutes, but then he'd sandbag and hold on to it for a couple months, and then he'd give it to him in eight weeks and be like, oh yeah, I've just been sweating over this thing for the last you know, this two months, me. every hour, you know, just, <laughs> it, because he'd been training his whole life to do it. Oh, that's a know? great story. Yeah. And so you also work with some of the top motivational speakers over time. We met through Brendan Bouchard, and was Tony Robbins the first motivational speaker that you started working with? Tony Robbins was the first big motivational speaker that I started working with. I think at the time I started with Tony, I started with Tony and then John Gray, who was a huge motivational speaker because Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus was big. And also Susie Orman. And I, around that same time, I started with Tony and Susie Orman and John Gray and a few other speakers. But you know how I got Tony? I had opened up a studio in New York. I was living in Los Angeles, still teaching. And I'd opened up a studio in New York because my wife loves New York. And we were thinking, maybe we'll move to New York or, or I'll just open up a studio there and go back and forth. So that's what we did. I opened up a studio in New York mm -hmm. and we would spend two weeks. This is before we had kids. I would spend two weeks in Los Angeles and two weeks in New York and go back and forth. So one of my students in New York, Jolie, his daughter, who was in New York trying to be a Broadway star. So Tony Robbins' daughter, Jolie, very talented, lovely person. She was in New York trying to be- Tony's daughter. daughter. Yeah, oh, Tony's wow. daughter wanted to be a singer. Wow. And, uh, and a performer. So, so she came to me, I'm not sure how, but she'd heard of me. She, I, I did a couple of free seminars when I first showed up in New York. I told, my, I told my friends in Los Angeles, I'm going to New York, and I think it's gonna take me about three weeks before I become the number one voice teacher in New York. And they were like, but you, you, you don't know anybody in New York and nobody knows you. I'm like, well, that's why I'm giving myself three weeks. And I did two, two free seminars, and 300 people came to each. Mm. And at the end of those two days, I, my schedule was full, and Jolie was one of the people that came to those free seminars. Oh, amazing. So I was teaching her, and Tony heard her talk, sing, and he was like, you sound amazing, you sound so much better, what are you doing? And, and she said, I'm studying with this guy named Roger Love. And, and again, this is a funny story. Tony called me and said, Roger, I have a birthday coming up and I'm gonna do a big birthday party like at the Forum or someplace and I'm gonna have Elton John sing and some of my other friends sing and I wanna sing. Oh, wow. He wanted Tony to sing. Tony Robbins came to me because he, he knew I was a singing coach. Okay. And he wanted to sing at a big birthday thing, maybe like his 30th birthday. It was. It was his 30th birthday. Oh, wow. Up. So his 60th birthday is coming up in two weeks. I so know. That's, yeah. I know. I just saw. I just saw. And so, so he, this was his 30th birthday. That's how long ago it was. And he said, can I work with you and you teach me how to sing? I said, of course. So he came to my studio in New York. And, and... I started teaching him how to sing, and then I realized that there were problems with his speaking voice. He got hoarse all the time. He was doing this sound all the time, and it was, it was hard on his vocal cords. And so I was like, I'll teach you how to sing, but why don't you let me teach you how to fix your voice so that you can make the sounds that you make, which are obviously affecting millions of people positively, but really hard on your body. 
I'll teach you how to do a whole other set of sounds that are that'll be easier on your body and you won't get hoarse. And so then that's what started our relationship. And then, then I would travel with him when he would go out mm. on do his tours to Life Mastery and you know and Kona and and I went with him to Fiji and and we started a relationship that lasted years and years and years and years. Still, he still does my warm ups and the documentary oh, yeah. he did. I'm not your guru. Mm-hmm. There's a section in it where he's warming up his voice. He, he puts the thing on and you hear my voice saying, okay, let's go, 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 go. And he's doing his warmups. And so he still does my warmups oh, wow. every day. So he's still my student. That's but awesome. That, but interestingly enough, again, he didn't come to me for his speaking voice. But then when someone comes to me, whether it's speaking or singing, I'm always like, okay, well, I don't think there's a difference between singing and speaking. Yeah, I saw the transformation you made with the, the stuttering gentleman. Yeah. Is that the cure for stuttering, is to think about it as a song? When I was little, I remember watching a TV show, like the Ed Sullivan Show, and there was this country singer named Mel Tillis, and I never forgot this, who stuttered. He was like a comedian country singer, and he stuttered severely, but then when he sang, it was perfect. And I was like, I don't know, seven or eight or nine, seeing this person stutter, but then sing perfectly. So then flash forward years later, stutterers start coming to me because they don't know where else to go because there isn't an official cure for stuttering. Mm. The psychological community believes it's a medical problem and the medical community believes it's a psychological problem and neither have any cure. So the person who stutters and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who stutter. So I just started saying maybe I could help. And I had already spent years figuring out the difference between singing and speaking. What, what the airflow was different. How, what specifics were different. And I had this idea that stuttering was an airflow problem, not what everybody thought. Oh. That it was a motor skills problem or some kind of a closure here. Because you'd think it was a mental issue, that people are feeling anxiety or something like that. Yes, and, and even if it didn't start as a mental issue, when you start, let's say it's a physical issue, and you start stuttering, well, now you freak out. Right, and it starts the like, vicious, it's like vicious cycle, yeah. Right, if, you, if all of a sudden one day you're impotent, you're like, that's it, my love life is over. Yeah. So if you start stuttering, it, it, it creates a mental problem because you're so afraid of why it happened. That's why nobody knew whether it was a mental issue or a physical. Mm. It's actually sort of both. It can be both. But okay, I yeah. just had this simplistic idea that, if, that the difference between singing and speaking, the main difference, is when you speak, most people don't have a solid stream of air. They have the words come riding out with just a little bit of air, and then the air stops and then a little bit more air, and then the air stops. But when you sing, you have to connect all the words together, and it rides out on a solid stream of air, and it doesn't stop until you get to a rest. So I taught stutterers how to do diaphragmatic breathing. Breathing in through your nose, pretending you have a balloon, only speaking while your stomach came in which sent an even amount of air to the cords and then through the cords. 
I would teach these stutterers my singing exercises slash just voice exercises, fix the breathing, and they could all sing no matter how seriously their stuttering was. And then I would have them learn to speak in the same way that they were singing, connecting all the words together and not stopping the airflow. And every single person who was stuttering stopped stuttering. Wow. It wasn't just one out of 10. I had success with every single person that came to me. I could eliminate those sounds of stuttering just by creating even airflow and connecting the words together. And I realized that that's, that was better than anything that they tried because all those people that came to me, hundred, I've, I've worked with thousands of stutterers over the years now. Mm. And all, every single one of them went to doctors, shrinks, therapists, speech therapy, and they never fixed it. So the cure wasn't out there, so I figured I'll just give it a whack. Anyways, I've enjoyed working with that and with other illnesses like spasmodic dysphonia, which is imagine stuttering times a million. Mm. Barely get any sound out, mm. people who have, who have SD. But I've really enjoyed that as sort of like a, a side benefit of helping people as a voice coach. You know, I used to, I used to just teach voice thinking that I wanted to make great singers. And then I was like, it's got to be bigger than that if I'm really that into it. But I'm going to use voice to make great people. And that can be so impactful. And then when you, when you teach a singer how to sing, it's rewarding and they can hit high notes and they sell a lot of records. But when you help someone find their voice and they've, they can't find it or it's gone or it's broken and you help them find their voice, you, you literally have changed their life and the lives of everybody they communicate with. People are just not even thinking about voice. That's the, the greatest story never told is that people don't think about voice until they've lost it. So true. And so they're, they're, they're trying to have a great life. They're trying to have communications, which lead to relationships and which leads to businesses and which leads to self-confidence. And they're, they're just trying to create great lives all around. And they don't realize that it's their communication that is allowing them to have all those relationships and great lives. But they're not thinking that their communication is completely dependent upon the sounds that are coming out of their mouth, not the words they say. Science now proves that the brain doesn't even care about what words you say first. That to get into the prefrontal cortex of the brain, the part that has memory and, and stores the information and processes it, processes it, processes it. There's a lot of scissors in that processes it, and then acts upon it because it feels something, is the prefrontal cortex. And, and the only way to get to the prefrontal cortex is to pass the amygdala, which is the first part of the brain, and the amygdala doesn't think words have any emotion. Mm. So if I say to you, you got to meet my brother tomorrow, he's great, you're like, he's not coming on this show. <laughs> but if I say, Craig, you got to meet my brother tomorrow, you got to meet my brother, he is great. You're like, well, maybe I should have him on the show. So it's sounds that matter, and nobody's thinking about the sounds that they're speaking with. So if you want to have a better life, you have to change the way that you sound, and people will change the way that they perceive you. Do you know that science says that you have three seconds, three, 
before people, when you speak, before people decide whether they like you, whether they trust you, whether they want to hear more from you, three seconds. And it's not the words, it's the sounds you make. Mm. That's, that's the story. Yeah. Everybody needs the greatest makeover that they could get, and that is change their voice. But you know why most people don't even think they can change their voice? Maybe because they've been talking the same way so long? Exactly right, they think that's the voice they were born with. Ah. And I tell people, that's not the voice you were born with. You weren't born with any voice. You were born with an instrument to create sounds. Just like right. your grandmother gives you a Steinway piano, it sits in your living room as a frame holder. And then it's what's absorbed because if you grow up in one country, you're gonna speak different than if you grow up in another country in you know, different types of society. You, know, you might speak more lingo or you might speak faster, like you know, the valley girl yeah. thing. Whatever New you Yorkers, hear, all, yeah. whatever you hear, you imitate. Yeah. So we, we have no sound and then we imitate the sounds of the people around us to create a connection between me and my mom, between me and my dad, between who's ever taking care of me. We try to sound like they sound so that we feel like we're connected. So if my mom speaks really airily, as soon as I can speak, I say milk, milk. If my dad speaks like, like, like this, and I, I want him to pick me up all the time, I'm like, daddy, pick me up, daddy. That, because I want him to think that I'm an extension of him, that we're the same. And, right. We pick up and, so much from our parents. So we imitate. Character traits, emotions, accents, varying emotions. All those things you said. Yeah. Yes, we pick up all those things. And those, those are the sounds that are attached to the words. Mm. And then all of a sudden, we're young adults or adults or middle-aged or older people. And we think that's the voice we were born with. It's the voices we imitated. So I like to say that I can meet anyone at that point of their life, wherever they are, and say, here's the sounds that are working for you, and here's the sounds that are not working for you. What does that mean? Here's the sounds you're making, and that's making people feel this and think this. Do you wanna make people think this and feel this, or do you wanna make people think this and feel this and be moved emotionally by you? Yeah, and I've seen you do this live on stage, and we've done it together as you've been coaching me, and I know there's some universal things people can do, right? Can you share some of those things that most people will find an improvement if they just add simple elements? Absolutely. Number one thing, most people are afraid of speaking louder. Mm. But I say that speaking is a physical connection. You're supposed to speak loud enough and create sound that leaves your mouth and travels on a solid stream of air and vibrates the bodies of the people that you're speaking to. So in order to do that, you have to do two things, and most people are not willing to do either of those two things. You have to be louder, because your voice has to go over to where they are. Most people just talk like they're using their inside voice the whole time. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. Mm. Nice to be here. We're using our inside voices. It's like we're talking to ourselves. So the sound isn't even hitting the other people's bodies. That's not how to connect with people. You have to get louder. Why don't people want to be louder? Because they equate louder with angry. Ah. If I'm louder, I sound mad. And that's probably what their parents that sounded like when they were angry. Yes, their parents were, when they didn't want them to eat the chocolate chip cookie right before dinner, it, was, it wasn't like, 
Honey, don't eat that chocolate chip cookie. It was, get away from the cookie jar. But I've spent a lifetime figuring out what sounds create what emotions. So one, what's the sound recipe for mad? Loud, but also monotone. You have to take all the melody out. When you're mad, you don't have time for melody. You're not singing a song. It's all one note, like one note on a piano. I'm really mad at you, Craig. What are you thinking? So volume and lack of melody is bad. Okay. But volume itself is amazing if you have melody. Mm. If you don't just stay on one note, you can be as loud as you want. You just sound even more happy. You sound excited I'm, and it can be contagious. I'm thrilled to yeah. be here with yeah. you today. Yeah. So people need to speak louder. That's the first thing. With more melody so that they don't sound angry. And something interesting, when you started getting louder, I felt myself getting louder and more excited just because that's how we humans are programmed. Exactly So if right. someone just increases the amplification, <laughs> you can coach me on that later, but amplifies their voice to be a little bit louder, it's going to have an infectious result that are going to have everyone around them feeling more excited to be in their presence. Because it's a physical connection. As I got louder, more of my vibe sound, literally, my invisible sound waves hit your body. And you were like, wow, okay, there's, there's energy coming towards me. Makes me want to sit up straighter, yeah. And, and the thing is, when there's sound in a room, the brain doesn't know whether you're making it or somebody else is making it. So when you hear certain sounds, you're like, hey, maybe that's me. But my mouth wasn't open. Well, maybe that was me still. So it's sort of like you share sound oh, back and forth. I know, it's, it's, it sounds like woo-woo, but it's not woo-woo. It's all scientific. Mm. Oh, okay, so louders. Louder Number with one. more melody. Number two, more melody. So, and these, these things go together because if you're just loud, it's going to be angry. Yeah. But louder with more melody. And what is melody when you're not singing? What does that mean when you're having a conversation? When you're speaking, you don't notice if you're not a musician or you're not thinking about melody, but there's a note corresponding to whatever words you're saying. There are notes. So if you said hello, and I went to the piano and I'm bum bum, I could find those notes on a piano. Hi, bum, how are you? Bum, bum, bum. There's actually notes that you're saying when you say words. Mm. People just don't know. Mm. Some people are not using any notes and they only talk like this and there's no notes at all. And I couldn't go over to the piano and I said, hello, uh, hello. I, I couldn't find a corresponding note on a piano or a guitar. But if I say, hello, bomb bomb, hello, hello, ah, uh, blunk, 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 I could find it. Melody is making sure that there are notes attached to the words. So instead of saying, hi, my name is Roger Love, I say, hi, my name is Roger Love. My name is Roger Love. And there's three ways to create melody. Either you're walking up the steps, going from a low note to a high note, low, higher, 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 just like you're singing, low, higher, 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 higher. I really like golf. This is my birthday. I love being with you. That's called ascending scales, going from low to high. When you use melody that goes from low notes to high notes, those are happy sounds. Today's great. I love chocolate. This place is so sweet. That makes you happy when you make those sounds and makes other people happy when they hear them. The other way is descending scales. High, low, 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 low. Higher, lower, 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 lower. It's my birthday. 
Today is Wednesday. It, I didn't get any presents. It's okay. That's the way most people speak. Mm. They go down. Because they were sabotaged in elementary school and taught that when they get to a comma or when they get to a period, they're supposed to go down. Down in melody to a lower note and also softer. Weren't you taught that? Now that you mention it, I think I was. So most people speak like this. Maybe they have a little bit of melody and then they get to a comma. And maybe they have a little bit of melody and they get to a period. So we're doing all of these descending scales and we don't realize we're making ourselves sad and we're making everybody else sad. You want to go to the movies? Why would I go to the movies with you? Let's go together. Why? You don't have any money for popcorn. It's okay. So we're doing these descending melodies. Just bringing everyone down. Bringing everybody down, making everybody sad. Wonder why people don't like to talk to us forever or why, or why people get bored with us. Because we're, we're in a world of descending melodies. So you're either walking up the step of melody or you're walking down the step of melody or you're staying on the same note. This is it. I only have one note. This is called monotone. And most people in the world are guilty of this. They found their voice and it kind of hovers around one note. Ah, and this is the note. And I'm a really exciting person. When I really get excited, maybe I'll take a huge chance and jump to this note. And then I'll go back to this one where I feel really safe. And when you record most people speaking, they hover around one note almost all the time. So here I Mm. am just on that one note thinking, wow, I'm starting to get bored on that one note. But what happens is if you have monotone melody, which means you stay on one note the whole time and you hear me doing it right now, what you start to think is, I know what Roger's going to sound like next. And you also think, if I know what Roger's going to sound like next, I know what Roger's going to say next. And then why should I bother to wait for him to say it? Because I'm already bored to tears and I really want to go. Ah, okay. So amp up the voice, add melody, and speak in ascending notes. Ascending scales. Ascending scales. Lower to higher. Making sh- okay. Making sure that, you're, that the melody goes up more. That it's, that it's lower to higher to higher. And then you sound less predictable, which is more interesting. And then people will want to have more conversation with you because they don't know what you're going to say. Even though they don't know what you're going to say otherwise, now they actually have that feeling that they're going to be surprised or find out something new. Versus if you're speaking monotone, they can feel like they can predict you. Yeah. And because they've already judged how they feel about you in seconds. It's just how the human brain works. It wants to judge quickly. Yeah, because it's all part of like this whole caveman, cavewoman brain. When you meet somebody and you hear them, you, your brain, the, the caveman and cavewoman part of the brain thinks, is this person a danger to me? Are they a threat? Yeah. Is this person food? Should I eat this person? Should I mate with this person and, and, and keep the species all moving forward? That's what the cave person brain thinks. So if you start out really loud without a melody, you're a threat. Ah. That the brain is not thinking nice hair. The brain is thinking that person is threatening. So these things are just, they're innate. They're innate in that part of our brains. So the sound really matters. You you want to create sounds that are more interesting and, Mm. and more mysterious so that they... They can't wait for what you're going to say next. And texture is interesting no matter what it is, whether it's yeah. food, whether it's a painting. No one wants to look at a painting that's all one color. No one wants to hear a voice that's all one tone. How many people 
by the abridged version of the Kama Sutra, if it being one page. Yeah. Everybody wants variety. Why not, why not variety in voice? It's just that we've taken out all the musicality from most people the way they speak. Mm, it's become just a communication device. It's become words. And people have forgotten that you can express. People are speaking word to word instead of emotion to emotion. Ah, fascinating. I, okay. I don't speak word to word. I'm like, well, what emotion do, what emotion oh, so do I want to have? about the emotion. Okay, so that's the fourth thing that people can do is think about the emotion they want to express. Yeah. And then express the sounds express the, of that emotion. The sounds of the emotion. Not just the words, the sounds of the emotion. The, you, you start with, what, what, what's the emotion here? I love you. I want to stay together with you forever. Let's have, let's, let's have a relationship. Or we, we tried to make this work. It's not working. I care about you, but we're breaking up. The, think of the sounds mm. that go with the emotion. And that last one is a sound of compassion, disappointment. Yeah. The sound of caring. caring. The, 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 a little bit sound of sorrow. Yes. And basically that sounds difficult. Like, Roger, how am I going to know what sounds? But it's as simple as use ascending scales and you sound happy. Use descending scales that go down, you sound sad. Awesome. So those are, those are, that's brilliant. And anyone can use this. So the four things that we have. More melody. voice with uh, more volume. volume. More melody. Ascending scales. And then speak with the emotion, not with the words. You're supposed to feel something when you speak. So mm. go for the sound of for those the sound feelings. of what you're feeling. And then the other people will join in those feelings. And then you'll have authentic communication that's based on emotion. Ah, that's fascinating. We're at this crazy place in the, in the world. AI is, you know, huge, of course. Yeah, it's getting and bigger. How does AI learn? AI learns by humans teaching AI and then the AI processing that information quicker than a lot of brains. So we've become a world of unemotional speakers. And so what are we actually teaching AI? How to communicate unemotionally. Mm. But that's why when you call into a customer service line and you're getting the robots, that's why it so it's easy to tell that it's a robot because there's no emotion. No in the emotion voice. and no reaction to your emotion. No reaction. You call in no angry, there's and there, no emotion. No, there, yeah. a particular emotion, whatever they recorded that emotion as. Mm. You call in sad, a particular emotion. What good really is an AI robot on a suicide prevention line who doesn't understand the difference between hope in a sound and, and disgust and, and misery? Mm. So and it that's is the magic of the human brain and why AI is still far behind, because the difference between hope and joy is subtle, sound. but it's, it's sound, a sound that words. we can recognize. AI can only understand words. So the difference between I'm okay and I'm okay. And I'm okay. Is the, is the it doesn't sound that much, yeah. I, you're okay, you're not going to hurt yourself today, but you're okay, you do have a glim, glimpse of hope. So I say, we're, like I said, I said we're this pivotal moment where the only thing that makes us human is that we can communicate emotionally. And, and we've lost mm. so much of that thinking that taking all the emotion out of business and it's just facts and numbers and charts and crap like that. And, we're, and there's not enough emotion. And then, and then so we are not being very human because we're not communicating emotionally. And then the robots, AI, will be, will be having the same patterns, having the same sounds 
which will be unemotional, and then we'll have a whole world that's really not that humane mm. and human because mm. of the sounds. Whereas we need to teach AI how to access, how to process the sound of emotions. Yeah, and what I think is an interesting takeaway is that if you are speaking monotone, you are not coming across as a full range of human. You're coming across a bit One robotic emotion. and people are not gonna vibe with you as much as if they, if you add depth and scale and emotion to your voice, because that's what makes human connection is those sticky emotions, you know? Like the technique that they say when you're speaking on stage or when you're on a first date and you wanna connect with someone is to share something really vulnerable, yeah. share something you're embarrassed about. Yeah. But it's not just the specific instance that you're sharing. It's not that you peed your pants in the first grade. It's the emotion that you went through that's sticky that makes humans connect together. Yeah. So if you don't have that emotion in your voice, you're gonna have a hard time connecting with people. So what you teach goes so far beyond the words that come out, it's actually how to create deeper connections, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but if you're speaking to a group, you know, or putting out social content, this will make a, a bigger connection with the people who are following you on social media or watching you on stage as well as one-on-one -on, -one on a date with your partner or with an old friend, with your parents, and you're opening other people up too by adding the emotion. Am I right? You're a thousand percent right and insightful. I really think that we've become more AI. What's happened is we've become less human sounding, and this is the way people talk. No melody, no emotion, no volume changes, the same pace the whole time. And so this is, a, I, I, I stand at the dry cleaners and I see the two people in front of me talking, and they talk like this, how you doing? I'm good. How's your wife? Great. How's your kids? All good. That's great. That's great. How, how, how emotional was any of that? None. I don't have those kind of conversations. I don't make those sounds. We, can't, we have to stop making those sounds. Don't have those conversations. Talk to yourself yeah. if you want to talk to yourself. But we've become a world that uses this inside voice, things we tell ourselves, and we let it come out of our mouths. And it has no emotion at all. I think you need to be really conscious about it as well. You do? Because I found just looking at this conversation you and I have been having, now that we've been talking about it, I'm feeling more emotion, I'm expressing more emotion, I'm talking more with my hands, I'm sitting up more. When you were telling those amazing stories, I kind of found myself going into AI mode, not thinking about it, but now in retrospect, I was going into my default mode. Yeah. And our default mo modes, as you've been saying, we've been trained by our upbringing, by what's going on in society, to be just dry. Just so words. be conscious. I would say maybe is the fifth point is just add consciousness to your every conversation. By recording yourself speak. Mm. Record, people don't, you don't know what you sound like until you record yourself. Right, everyone hates to listen to themselves but maybe that's why. They because, need you know, to start listening. Yeah, so you if, you don't wanna, if you don't wanna video yourself because you don't wanna take the trouble of combing your hair and getting dressed, yeah. at the very least, take your phone out and record yourself speaking about things and then listen back. I really want you to do that and add more melody and add more volume, specific ascending scales. And, mm. and you, when you listen back to the way you speak right now, you're not gonna wanna kiss that person on the mouth. You're not, going to want to, you're not going to want to have a relationship. But get your voice so that it sounds like it's emotional to you by listening to it. 
we're a world that doesn't listen to the way that we sound. So that's, we get it. We, we just make words again because there's nothing attached to them. Yeah, and what I love about this is it's so high leverage. You spend a few minutes on this a day, it literally affects the rest of your day. Every conversation you have. Absolutely. Let me, give you, let me give you another, uh, another technique on how to make the, all those things we've talked about happen. We're only supposed to speak when our stomachs are coming in. And people don't understand that. So we're supposed to breathe in through our noses, and most people breathe in through our mouths. Take a breath in through your mouth like this. And everybody do that who's watching. Take a big breath in through your mouth. You feel the dryness in your throat? Yeah, I need to sip my water. <laughs> yeah. Every breath that you take in through your mouth dries out your throat mm. and your vocal cords. Mm. We're not born to breathe in through our mouths. We're born to breathe in through our noses. Close your mouth. Everybody do that with me. Close your mouth. Breathe in through your nose. No dryness. That's because what the nose is there for, I guess. There are <laughs> I never realized that until just now. There are filters in the nose called turbinates. And when air comes in that way, it becomes moist air. So then when it goes to the throat, it doesn't dry anything out. So if oh, you're at listening, if you're at home or wherever you're listening to this, and you lose your voice, start breathing in through your nose because if you breathe in through your mouth, that's what's drying out your vocal cords and you're losing your voice. Oh, wow. You know that uh, ancient Mongols are famous for their military training where the kids would be on the back of a sheep at the age of three with a little bow and arrow learning to shoot arrows while they're on the back of a moving animal. And that's why they had the greatest armies in the world. Oh. One of the other training things that they would do was they would have to uh, take a mouthful of water as kids and then run up to the top of a mountain and run back down without losing the mouthful of water to train in nose breathing. Wow. For athletic performance. That's genius. Yeah. And, and mo most professional athletes don't even know that they should be breathing into their nose. I have this fight all the time with, with Olympic athletes mm. that you, you must learn to breathe through your nose because it'll bring more, it'll, it'll oxygenate your blood more and give you more control over oxygen to those particular muscles that you need. Oh, so you're supposed to breathe in through your nose. You're supposed to stop raising your chest and shoulders. Most people breathe like this. <sighs> Thinking that your lungs are somehow in your shoulders, but your lungs are not in your shoulders, and that's not how breathing works. You're supposed to have good posture, chest up, shoulders back and down. And then you're supposed to pretend that you have a balloon in your stomach. And the only part of your body that moves when you inhale is your stomach comes forward a little bit as if there was a balloon in there. So you take a breath, your stomach comes forward, and then you exhale. That's so, the stream of air. That's the solid stream of air. Yeah. So you inhale through the nose, pretend you have a balloon, and then you exhale through your mouth. You have to practice that. Most people are talking and their stomach's not moving at all. They're holding it tight. But watch what I sound like when I go from Letting my stomach come in to then now holding my stomach tight. If my stomach's tight, there's no air coming out and I sound restricted. And if I let my stomach come in, then air comes out with the words. Mm. We have to learn to only speak while our stomach is coming back in slowly. That'll give you the volume. That'll help you with the melody. That'll connect all the words together. That will fix almost all the problems because you have the gasoline for the engine. Ah, so the fuel tank 
Breathe through your nose, all the way into your belly. Feel it like a basketball. Put your hand on it is what you yes. have me do. And then let the stream go out your mouth steadily. And slowly. And slow. Okay. That, because that, words I I don't need that much words. air. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay, Roger. Now it's coming out very steadily and slowly. And that's how you're sending more out, more air out on a solid stream of air. And that gives the words a chance to ride out on that, on that solid stream of air further away from your body so that they vibrate my body. And then I feel like we're actually communicating because I feel something physically and emotionally. Amazing. Okay, so watch the last 15 or so minutes of this interview. And out of this, you can make a voice training exercise. And then you have amazing materials online too that people can check out. What's the best place people can check you out? People should go to rogerlove.com. Okay. But I also think we've worked out a very special savings, a bonus for my program, The Perfect Voice. That was so nice of you to do that for our listeners, right? You're yes, put and, you, and you can we'll post what the bonus is, yeah. but we'll give them a discount on The Perfect Voice. And it's not very expensive to begin with. So this is, it's, it's, the whole thing's almost a gift. You'll well, pay it a is because, I mean, uh, can I share your coaching rate? Is yeah, that, please. Okay, so you're $2,000 plus an hour to do one-on-one coaching. Yes. And, and it's worth impossible, every, and it's impossible every to get into me. And yeah, it's, it's not easy to get into you. I know because I book sessions with you. It's, you know, you're very in demand. But your online curriculum is amazing. I follow the online curriculum myself when I'm not able to coach with you in person. And the exercises are on there. The same techniques that you taught Brett Michaels, that you taught Jeff Bridges, that you taught Bradley Cooper. It's all online. And you do a live event once a year as well, right? Where you're teaching this live? Yes, called Voice of Success. And the website is voiceofsuccesslive.com. So I always want to come with a gift. And today, if you are interested in working on your speaking voice, you're going to go to theperfectvoice.com. And you're going to type in where it says promo code STORIES, all caps, STORIES. And you're going to get $50. Now, I have taken everything that I've learned in the last 35 years of working with the speaking voice and the singing voice and put it into the perfect voice. And you're going to be able to have immediate results. It's going to show you exactly what you need to change, what needs tweaking about your speaking voice, and how to put in everything that you're missing. And after you put in the promo code, it's going to be less than $100. So this is a great gift that I want to give you. If you're interested in singing, go to rogerlove.com, click I want to learn how to sing better, and go to my online singing academy and check that out as well. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, it's super generous. And I just got to say, even if you don't want to be a singer, even if you have no desire to speak on stage or speak in public, everyone should do this simply to improve the conversations that you have in your everyday life because you're gonna come across so much more powerfully, you're gonna command more respect, attention, admiration, and you're gonna be able to go deeper and have more joyful conversations with the people you love. So mm. for less than a hundred bucks, I mean, you, you gotta do it. It's such a big improvement. It's gonna affect every day of your life for the rest of your life. So thanks, Roger, for putting that together. And thanks for being here, man. The stories are amazing, the techniques are amazing. I love dropping in with you. Thank you so much so for having thrilled me. to be uh, I'm your making biggest this happen. Fan. Thank you for having me. Much love. All right. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to hear a story that's even wilder than that one, click here. You only have five seconds though. Five, four, three, two, one, go.